you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I don't know how you all have felt about this series through the book of Acts, but I have found it uh, life-giving and spirit-filling. I found it uh, hitting me in new ways this year. Early in the pandemic, uh, a number of us gathered for a virtual Bible study uh, with Dr. Jason Myers from Greensboro College. He came and uh, kind of walked us through the book of Acts and helped maybe set us in a different uh, kind of mindset of understanding this this really second volume of Luke's work. Uh, Luke uh, was uh, kind of commissioned by Theophilus, this wealthy benefactor, uh, to gather up the Jesus stories and put them in, into a collection. And so he wrote Luke kind of as the story of Jesus and Israel. And then uh, Acts is kind of the story of the Holy Spirit and the church. And, and uses this to tell the story of what God uh, has done, is doing, and will do. Uh, we've, we've dived in and looked at what it meant for the community to kind of have all things in common, to to give up future uh, well-being, to take care of someone else's present needs. We've looked at uh, the apostles going out and healing in the name of Jesus and and the authorities wondering, how how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? In whose name are you doing this? Uh, We've looked at the story uh, last week of the Ethiopian eunuch and the way that uh, God was moving beyond the borders of Israel and and began to examine what it meant for uh, them to live out uh, Luke's commission. Uh, Jesus tells the the apostles in in the end of Luke, uh, I am leaving and you are going. You'll go in the spirit uh, from Jerusalem outwards to share the news, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel's hope. And last week we we kind of dove right into the story of how uh, God has begun the movement out. This uh, person who is both uh, ethnically and sexually outside the bounds of Israel's uh, kind of... uh, Bounds uh, now has full access to the presence of God through the Spirit who uh, called him and Philip together to, to hear the story of Jesus Christ and, and to go to the waters of baptism. Uh, the lectionary skips a couple chapters to today's text. It skips the calling of Paul, this pretty pivotal moment where Paul is on the Damascus road and he is um, blinded and, and goes from being this persecutor of the church uh, to the first uh, apostle sent out to the Gentiles. Uh, but before we can send uh, Paul out, they send him, the Spirit leads him out to Tarsus uh, to wait. He, he gets this vision from God and says, this is what's going to happen, and then he has to go and wait and prepare. And while that's happening, we come back to the Peter story, the, the story of how Peter is living out this new call that has been uh, hard to reckon with, to, to figure out how they're going to do what Jesus has called them to do when they never got to see him actually do it. Jesus said he came for the lost house of Israel, but he sends them out to the world. Our lectionary passage today starts in verse 44 of chapter 10, uh, presuming that we all know the story of chapter 10 by heart, right? Everybody can just whip out chapter 10 and tell you all about it, right? I could not either. Thank you for shaking your head no. Uh, it, it's a pretty important, pivotal moment in the, in the book because it's where Peter meets a man named Cornelius. Uh, Brad Rudolph has warned me not to read chapter after chapter of Scripture out loud, so I'm going to try to jump through chapter 10 without just reading it to you. Uh, 
But it starts, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion in the Italian company. Now this is Caesarea Maritima out on the water. It's a, it's a Jewish area, but it's a stronghold of the, the Roman legion. There's about 600 Roman soldiers stationed there. And Cornelius is one of them. He and his whole household were pious Gentile God worshipers. He gave generously to those in need among the Jewish people and prayed to God constantly. So Cornelius is a Gentile God-fearer. Uh, this is someone who has been compelled by the Yahweh story, who, who uh, believes in the God of Israel, who worships the God of Israel, who, uh, who practices the piety of the, Israel, of the Jewish people. They would probably eat kosher. The, the one difference between a proselyte who becomes fully Jewish and a God-fearer is the God-fearer does not submit himself and his family to circumcision. Uh, he is uh, different because of this marker and, is so, and because of this is not fully welcomed into the community. And yet the text says he was pious. His prayers were lifted up and, and he sees a vision from an angel of God. The angel said to him, Cornelius, and, and Cornelius goes, what God? What is it, Lord? And the angel said, your prayers and your compassionate acts are like memorial offering to God. This offering that God had desired from Israel for so long, this offering that was out of their heart, not out of some uh, ecclesiastical duty. This, this offering that was just wellspring of your love for Yahweh and, and this Gentile God fear is the one whose life of piety God receives as a memorial offering. Send some of your messengers to Joppa at once and summon a certain Simon there known Peter. He is a guest of Simon the Tanner whose house is near the seacoast. When the angel had gone, Cornelius summoned two of his household servants with him and he sent them to Joppa. This Gentile God fear, this one who hasn't quite made the whole step to, to full proselyte, to be fully Jewish, receives a message from an angel of God. Call Peter. He, he surely knows of Simon Peter, this uh, closest friend of Jesus, this one who had been at every moment, who had, had been in the area. He's heard stories of Peter, and, and this messenger says, send for him. And so he does. He sent, and they went. At noon the following day, as their journey caught them close to the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. While others were preparing the meal, he had a vision. He saw heaven open up and something like a large linen sheet lowered to the earth by its four corners. Inside the sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles and wild birds. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter exclaimed, absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times and the object was pulled back into heaven. This is the Peter we know from the Gospels, right? The one who, uh, who, who receives a word from God and thinks he knows better. The one who wanted to build uh, booths on the mountain for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. The one who declared that Satan uh, would not uh, prevail. The one who said, no, surely, Master, you're not going to go to the cross. Now says, surely you don't want me to eat these things that have been tainted by reptiles and wild creatures, do you? I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to do it. 
and almost like a throwaway, the text says, they did this three times. This seems to be a pattern in Peter's life, right? I'm going to deny Jesus three times. I'm going to have to be asked three times if I will lead the sheep. Do you love me? And now three times that this messenger of God has to say, don't declare unholy what I have declared holy. Reasonably, Peter was bewildered about the meaning of the vision. Just then these messengers sent by Cornelius discovered the whereabouts of his house and arrived at the gate. They called out, inquiring whether Simon, known as Peter, was a guest there. While Peter was brooding over the vision, the spirit interrupted him. Look, there are people looking for you. Go downstairs, don't ask questions, just go with them because I have sent them. So Peter went downstairs and told them, I am the one you are looking for, why have you come? And they replied, we have come on behalf of Cornelius, a centurion, a a righteous man, a God worshiper who is well respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel directed him to summon you to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so Peter invited them in as guests. Peter was bewildered by the meaning of the text. And as he was brooding over it, the messengers from Cornelius come. I have never felt more seen in a Bible passage, right? He is sitting there mad that God has told him to do this and he doesn't understand why. Why on earth does God want me to do this? And he is just grumpy, and then these strangers show up, and you got to put on the smile, right? I'll go. So he goes down and greets them, and invites them to stay in. They, they wait till the next day, and they get up, and they go to Joppa. Or they leave Joppa. They arrive in Caesarea the following day. Uh, Cornelius knew they were coming and anticipated, and he gathered the relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius fell on his feet, but... Peter lifted him up saying, get up. Like you, I'm just a human. As they continued to talk, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you realize that it's forbidden for a Jew to associate or visit with outsiders. However, God has shown me that I shall never call a person impure or unclean. For this reason, whenever you sent me, I came without objection. I want to know, why did you send for me? Peter enters and is beginning to grasp this, this message from God that, that it's not his determination of what is clean and unclean. It, it, it's food that's in the vision, but this isn't actually about food. Cornelius' house would be kosher. Cornelius would, would follow the dietary laws. He would, he would be practicing. Uh, and so it's not his food that separates them. It's his ethnicity. It's the fact that he hasn't gone as far as circumcision and, and by Torah, Peter's right. He, he shouldn't go in. This would make him unclean. And yet, God has said, don't you call him pure. Anything I call pure. And so he goes in. Why did you call for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago at the same time, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying at home. Suddenly a man in radiant clothing stood before me. He said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and your compassionate acts are like a memorial offering to him. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and summon Simon, who's known as Peter. He's a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner. I sent for you right away, and you were kind enough to come. Now here we are gathered in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has directed you to say. How's that? I invited you here, and I'm trusting that God has given you a word today. I I was obedient to where the Spirit led me, even though I had no clue what's going to happen. And it's on you now. What is the word you have? And uh, in what might be the thesis of the book of Acts, Peter says, I'm learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group or uh, people over another. 
Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right and is acceptable to him, this is the message of peace that he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. God shows no partiality. Whoever worships him receives this message. Peter goes on to to declare the fullness of what the gospel is. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, at the baptism John preached. You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen, not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed to judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter doesn't know... Uh, many things, but he knows the gospel story. The same message that Philip declared to the eunuch is the message that Peter declares to Cornelius and his household. The same Jesus who went to the waters of baptism, who was, was anointed as God's only son, the same Jesus who went around with a message of liberation, healing and making people whole. This same Jesus went to the cross and died for you and I. This same Jesus was raised from the dead. This same Jesus sent us out to declare the good news. And this same Jesus welcomes you, welcomes all. This God who shows no partiality, uh, his gospel This embodied message of good news in Jesus Christ is for all. For Christ is peace for the world. And in the context of Roman Roman peace, he is peace for all and Lord of all. And that sets up today's text. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. They heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. Peter asked, these people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? He directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they invited Peter to stay with them for several days. In this proclamation of the gospel, this simple truth that uh, this Jesus who took on flesh and died for you and I and rose from dead, defeated the power of sin and death, shows no partiality and opens up the kingdom of heaven to all people. The spirit moves when that message is declared and it moves for the first time amongst the fullness of Gentiles. And Peter says, much like uh, Philip and the eunuch did, there's nothing that can stop us from baptizing them, is there? Despite their wonderment that the Spirit had poured out on these Gentiles, there's absolutely nothing to stop us, is there? And so he baptizes them and he stays. And I want to have holy imagination and think about what these few days were like. Think about the the high that is going on in the house of Cornelius, whose barrier from true worship in, in, in Israel's religion has been circumcision, now has no barrier to worship the God who took on flesh. Imagine the excitement of having this hero of the faith, Peter, hanging out with you, just recounting the Jesus stories, telling about what it was like up on the Mount of Transfiguration, declaring what it had been like by that uh, 
that charcoal fire on the beach when Jesus gave him authority and said, feed my sheep and said, do you love me? Afterwards, Peter leaves and he goes back to Jerusalem and he gets a little talking to from the church at Jerusalem. How dare you go into this man's house? How dare you uh, offer baptism to these Gentiles? And Peter, and maybe the, the greatest moment of clarity says, look, we were all down at Jesus' baptism. We were there when John said, I baptize with water and he baptizes with the Spirit. Church, if the Spirit has fallen on these Gentiles, we couldn't do anything but baptize them. This is the sign that Jesus has opened up the new covenant to all people. And the church in Jerusalem relents. The the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch last week saw the gospel begin to head as far south as the world is known at that point. This begins the movement of the gospel as far north. This Roman centurion now receiving the fullness of the good news. It sets the stage for Paul to actually leave Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It sets up Paul's missionary journeys, his time around Asia Minor. It sets up uh, his time in Rome. It sets up the fullness of church history where in the first 400 years, the gospel spreads beyond the known world. With this simple message that the God who took on flesh, who went to the waters of baptism, who uh, pronounced liberation and healing, who went to death on a cross and did not allow it to be defeated, who rose from the dead and ascended on high, shows no partiality. And the whole litmus test as to whether someone can be welcomed in the community is it's the Spirit. And it becomes the, the test for the whole rest of the gospel is, is the Spirit moving amongst the people? This book of Acts, the, this fifth gospel in some ways, is about the work of the Spirit. The question is no longer, are you circumcised? The question is, do you bear fruit? Jesus said you would know a tree by its fruit. Do you have peace? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. A coconut's not a fruit of the Spirit, but these things are. And this becomes our sole barometer about uh, how God works. God is uh, lavish with his grace and pours his Spirit out across the land. God's love is expansive and knows no bounds, for our God shows no partiality. And so should we. In this message of, uh, or the sent ministry we are in, we are called with the same uh, urgency and authority to go and tell the gospel. This simple message of the good news that changed the world and declare that there is no boundary too far for God. There is no partiality that can separate one group as unworthy. Instead, we go and we declare the good news and we watch for the Spirit to move in mighty and powerful ways to, to name that things that we might even think are unclean are clean and to announce that God is peace for all and is Lord of all. Friends, it was... Um, disconcerting to the early church about how lavish God was with his love. If you watch uh, some of the news stories about the church across the world today, uh, there'd be some uh, difficulty with uh, believing that God loves all. That God shows no partiality and that God will pour his spirit out wherever God so chooses. That God's grace is available to all and goes before all. What would it look like if we if we look for fruit in our lives, 
and we looked for fruit in the lives of those that we have vowed uh, together as a church to, to care for. And if we looked for fruit outside of the walls and said, where is the Spirit moving and where is the Spirit sending us to announce that good news? What would it look like? Wherever people do it, the world is changed and the church takes off. Wherever the, the people of God are faithful to the Spirit of God, God moves. May it be so for you and I. Amen? Let's pray. We are so thankful, God, that you show no partiality, that you uh, lavish your spirit beyond the bounds uh, that we like to set up to separate one another, that uh, you have declared clean what so many people want to call unclean. Lord, would you help us examine our lives to look for fruit? Would you help us uh, desire it and long for it to avail ourselves of your means of grace that we might grow in holy love that we might love you and love our neighbor that in and through us the world might hear and see the gospel that the world might see your throne and see your face they might be captivated by your holy love your your holy love that knows no bounds your holy love that went so far as to take on flesh, to walk amongst humanity and announce liberation and healing, to, to go to death on a cross and then to be raised from the dead, to, to ascend and to pour out your spirit upon us. May we be vessels that point people to you and all that we say and all that we do and all that we are and all that we will be. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.